Amen. We're in a series titled Being Present. And we're going to talk about being present with my God, with my family in the home, with my church, and with my community over the next several weeks. And we've already talked about being present with my God and what it means to be present in the presence of the Holy Spirit. And if you haven't listened to that, listen to it online on our website. Today we're going to talk about being present in the home and what that really looks like. And so uh, we're going to kind of be over, over Scripture a little ways, but you can go ahead and put your hand and your finger in Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, but life is a blur, right? I mean, isn't it life, especially in this holiday season, life is a blur. And I remember the book uh, Fahrenheit 451. How many people had to read that in grade school? Two of you. Great. I'm glad our education system is working. But uh, Fahrenheit 451 was a book I remember reading in high school. Uh, and, and this one, only for this one phrase that it stuck out with me. Uh, and this book is about this future. It's written in 1953. And this book is about a future American society, which we're really kind of where we are today. And it's where books are outlawed and they're burned, but firemen are the ones that are burning them. Uh, and what books exist, they're a bridge, they accommodate because everybody has short attention span. Nobody wants to read a book anymore. We're all into entertainment and TV, and everybody's got TVs all over the walls. Now, this is 1953. I kind of think they saw into the future a little bit. But everybody's got TVs all over the walls, and nobody wants to read a book. Uh, and this one little girl who was just astounded by books, she told her neighbor, and this, this phrase stuck out. She said, you know, I sometimes think drivers don't know what grass is or flowers because they never see them slowly. If you just showed a driver a green blur, oh, yes, he'd say that's grass. Or a pink blur, oh, yeah, that's a rose garden. White blurs are houses. Brown blurs are cows. And she said, my uncle drove slowly on a highway once. He drove 40 miles per hour, and they jailed him for two days. Isn't that funny and sad, too? Is that kind of not you know, a a type of what we're going through today, that life is a blur and everything is just passing by on the way to somewhere else. We're buying and selling and doing and, you know, it was Black Friday. We're shopping and we're going here and going there and doing this and everything's online. Uh, And and we want to talk about is today just a passing moment on the way to somewhere else? You know, in the modern world that we have today, uh, we try to have it all. We want everything We want everything that's popular, and we want everything that's popular right now. That's the thing. And when you get all three together, then it's explosive. You know, everything, everything that's popular and everything right now. And a lot of times in this life, you kind of feel out of control with your schedule. I know in our family, sometimes our calendar is made for us, where my daughter has to go, or where my wife's work is taking her, or where this is going. And you're like, do I have a say? We actually, my wife and I talked about this last night. Our whole December is already gone and planned, and we're like... We don't have time for anything, you know, uh, and it's like everything is done for you and everything is out of your control. And sometimes uh, we, we, we think about all the do's and don'ts and all the things we've got to do tomorrow, and it steals our joy with our family today. We're so focused on what we've got to do, we don't have time just to be the family of God together. And that's kind of what we're talking about today. One author said this in Psychology Today. Uh, he was saying that those who live in the moment, uh, in the moment now, tend to be happier, more relaxed, and appreciative. One author even said depression lives in the past, anxiety lives in the future, happiness lives today. Isn't that true? Depression's in the past, anxiety's in the future, but happiness is in the moment right now. Mother Teresa even said that, that right now is all you need. God has given you this moment right now for happiness. 
and uh, we're always thinking about these to-dos. And a majority of Americans, we spend countless hours in front of TV or on phone screens. Many of those things are raising our children, right? And, and we think that every moment is a Facebook or an Instagram moment, uh, and we put it online for the whole world to see. But uh, I was reading an article in the Huffington Post about uh, this very topic about being present and slowing down. And one author said this, that someone must disconnect from their life to be absorbed with yours. That we, we think we're all connected, but you're actually disconnecting from your own life to be absorbed in the life of somebody else online. Isn't that funny? We, we, we feel connected, but in the same sense, we're disconnected from everyone around us by being absorbed with the lives of other people. Uh, and this is the American world. We're not fighting against it. We, I'm not trying to change culture. I want us to bring an awareness of how to be real, authentic Christians today. I can't complain. I could complain all day about culture and where we're headed. That's not going to change anything. But what I can do is I want to be the same authentic Christian at church, at home, at work, on the way to and from places with my children, with my relatives and my family and friends because Jesus said that I have promised you life and life abundantly. And I want that life not just to exist when I hear a good church song and I hear a good preaching message and I go to a good altar call, but every day, especially in my home, that I feel like my family is living life abundantly. Whether you're single, you could be single alone at home and living life abundantly because that's what he gave me, right? And so let's talk about being present with Jesus in the home. One author said this, as goes the home, so goes society and the nation. So how do we sync our home with our Christian life? You always got to sync your phone. You got to sync things nowadays. You got to get all the updates, you know, and life has been changing so much for the church and so much for the Christian. I want to plug into Jesus and sync my personal life, my home life, and my church life all together. I want all the updates, how to go through culture today and really be the real deal. Amen? Amen. So let's talk, let's talk about a biblical view of the home because we've got to get set the stage here. What is a biblical view of the home? You know, God made the home first. It was one of the first things he did as an institution uh, in Genesis was he made a home. He made Adam and Eve, and he had their home, and he blessed it, and he gave them order and what to do and how to do it. But if you do a brief review of the New Testament, you get a quick understanding uh, that maybe I don't understand what God means by this home thing. Because if I look at Jesus, he says, blessed are those who leave wife and home and kids and all this property, and theirs is going to be better in heaven. And he's like, unless you hate your mother and your father and your kids, you're not worthy of me. And I'm thinking, wait a minute. Jesus must be anti-home, right? He's like one of these people just, they got, leave your family, leave your wife, leave your kid, all that kind of stuff, and just go to church all the time. And that's what you could think, that Jesus is anti-home. That's not actually true. Because being anti-home is not the same as being pro-kingdom. Jesus is not anti-home. Jesus is pro-kingdom. And it's in contrast to this modern trend that we see that the Bible is really not all about family time. Now, listen to me. There is a very modern thing about uh, all the articles you can read in Google, how to be present in the home and how to engage your family and how to get off the screens and take these fasts from technology and go play board games on the weekends. I love all of that. My family tries to do it. 
But the Bible never talks about family time. Not in the way that we think about it today. What it talks about is kingdom time. Kingdom time is not anti-family time. But in the context of being a spirit-filled, born-again believer, kingdom time is my family time. It is all together. It is inclusive. And that my family time is a part of kingdom time. That, it's, that we have to kind of think, oh, wait a minute, I've raised my, I understand life in a certain way by being born in this century, in this generation, and having my parents and seeing how they raised me and seeing what my church is saying and how they're doing family time and, and living life. But I have to go back to the Bible and say, what does the Bible say about being the family of God? Being the real deal, authentic Christian. And it's about kingdom time. And kingdom time is not anti-family time. In Matthew uh, chapter 6, verse 33, Jesus says, and we read it a lot here at this church, Seek first the kingdom as righteousness. All these things will be added to you. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow is going to care for itself. Each day has got enough trouble in its own. And, and we're seeking first something beyond this world, that something has come from heaven, has come down to this earth, that has filled our lives with the presence of God. And in the presence and identity of God, that is all that me, my wife, my kids, my family, my future needs is in the kingdom of God. Are you with me this morning? Because we've got to get a biblical context for the home. It's got to be a part of kingdom theology and kingdom identity. Uh, and, and here's why. Because what the church no longer needs in America are people who are Christian at church and secular at home. We lived a lot of that in the 80s and the 70s and the 60s. We were Christian at church, but we were secular at home. And the world got found out about it. It got all over Facebook and TV and all these, all these websites and all these news channels. They found out all about these fake Christians. But we can't be secular at home and Christian at church. There's got to be a kingdom theology that it's all in the kingdom of God. And so Jesus says it's about the kingdom. And with the rapid deterioration of this family in the world we see today, the, look, the world is looking for healthy family relationships. They, they come to church, they don't know what it is to have a mom or a dad. They don't know what it is to be a healthy family and a healthy marriage. And they're looking to people across the aisles. How does so-and-so have a good marriage. I want to know what they've, how does that work in their life? I never had a mom or a dad, but I find my mom or my dad is my small group leader or one of the elders of our church. That it's the family of God. They're looking to us, and that's our job as the church to illustrate God's will for the home. Again, I don't care if you're single, you're divorced, you're widowed, or you're married. All of this is about illustrating how do I live the authentic Christian life. First Timothy even says in chapter 3 and 5 and 6 that if a man does not know how to lead in his home, he's not qualified to lead in the church. Did you know that? If you're not, you're not able to lead your family in the ways of God, look where it starts. It didn't say if you're good to lead in the church, then you'll be good to lead at home. It actually says the opposite. If you can lead your family in the things of God, you can then lead the church in the things of God. Jesus bases his church on what your home life is like. Woo, that's a mind-blowing, right? You don't go to church to have a better home. You have a better home to have a better church. Think about it. You have a better home to have a better church. Home is actually the foundation of where the kingdom of God is to be activated. 
That's for free, by the way. Right? It, uh, it's where the kingdom, it's not to be activated here, it's to be activated in our homes. And I fall short of this all the time. It's our job to illustrate what it looks like. You think he owes him further, he says, not only just the men here, but he says, if the wife doesn't have a dignified character or a faithful character, she can even disqualify her husband from serving. I'm going to be quiet on that one. And then, then it says, if your children are rambunctious and crazy and don't serve the Lord, they can even disqualify their parents from serving in the church. Because so goes the home, so goes the church, so goes the nation. There is a direct parallel in Scripture between the holiness of our homes and the holiness of our hearts. Who you are at home is who you really are. How Christian you are at home is how Christian you really are. How much I pray at home and how much I read my Bible at home, how nice I am to my wife, how nice I am to my children, how patient, Lord help us, I got a a five-year-old and a one-year-old, how patient I am with my children is how patient I really am. I can come to church and be the most patient uh, Mr. Heath Harris I can be, and you think I'm the most patient, loving, kind person, but when you go home and your family knows how to push all your buttons, we find out how you really are. We find out how you really are and who you are at home is who you really are. I'm going to talk to you a little bit about marriages and children and relatives and families. Just kind of talk about what the Bible says. We're still in the biblical view of the home. Marriages. Just think for a second. I know some of you guys are widows or divorced or single, still looking for that perfect person. Uh, and, and marriages, uh, in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul is talking about uh, a Christ-centered home. And we know from Genesis that marriage is to illustrate the physical, the intellectual, the spiritual companionship uh, of a man and a woman together. But all of this together, Paul brings and he says, really what this is about, he says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 33, each one of you husbands love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. And we can put our modern spin on this and we can say, well, they weren't, you know, the patriarchal society. A man ruled and women couldn't vote and all this kind of stuff. But, but Paul is speaking spiritually here and he's speaking to all contexts, all cultures. And, and I know my, my mom is a very headstrong woman. She's been a working woman since I was very small. My parents both had a full-time job my entire life. My wife works. She's a very headstrong, uh, uh, direct woman. She knows what she wants in life and, and we're a good team. Uh, And it's not this whole man is bigger and better than a woman thing. That's not what Scripture is saying here. But what he is illustrating is this relationship that a a husband and wife are a team. And on a team, you may have a team captain, but a captain can do nothing without his team. And they're together. They They make the goal together. No team can be separate from their captain. No captain can be separate from his team. But a good, synced relationship There's got to be order. There's got to be directional authority. There's got to be all that. But you can't be separate either. It doesn't work. And he's even saying this is like Christ and the church. That marriage ultimately and primarily is a witness to the world. Your marriage is a witness to the world of who Christ is and who we are to be. He says it's like about Christ's loving relationship. 
Uh, and think of it this way. And the best way I can and take it, because a lot of people read this and they'll tell their wife, hey, woman, can't you tell? You're supposed to serve and submit. And then she can look at him and say, yeah, but you're supposed to die. You know, like, I mean, we can, we can go back and forth all day long about who's wrong and who's right and what you're supposed to be doing. But what is, is and let me just put it in a way we make can understand. Husbands love by leading. Lead by loving. Wives, we are to submit and to serve and respect, and honor, and gentleness. That's what Scripture says. And, and it says it, be, let me say it best this way. Husbands, you're to want the best for her. Husbands, you are to want the best for her. Wives, you are to want to be the best for him. That's the relationship of Christ and the church. Christ wants the best for his church, and he died to give it. He died to give it. But church, we should want to be the best for Jesus Christ. Husbands, die to self to give her your very best. Wives, take that honor and glory and be the best for your husbands. And if both do their part, it'll be a perfect relationship. It'll be their perfect harmony. But this is not just for us. It's because parents... You're illustrating to your children not just what they should look like and look for in a spouse down the road, what it means to be a marriage, but you're also illustrating what it looks like to know Jesus. Little girls see their daddy, and they're going to think about God in the way they, they see their daddy. Same is true. How we relate to one another as husband and wife is how our children are going to learn to understand. What do we see? How do I interpret love? How do I interpret communication? How did, did I ever see intimacy and love with my, my, and my parents? Did I see them trusting one another? Did I see them respecting one another? And I will see that and I will look at God and I'll understand God in the context of how I see my parents loving one another. And because the breakdown of the marriage, we've seen a breakdown of the church. So many people are being raised today thinking God has a bat and he's wanting to beat people because maybe their daddy was an authoritative person who was absent and only came in as the lawgiver. That's, that's what we've interpret God. Some people have seen absent mothers and they can't come to church and find intimacy with God. And they don't know how to experience that intimacy and that love relationship with God. They think that God's going to fail them over and over again because their mom failed them over and over again. It's so very important for us to illustrate to our children the communication, the intimacy, and the trust because it's not just about our family. It's how they'll view God. Go on to children. Children, the Bible says in Colossians 3.20, this is one of the verses that my daughter, we, uh, she has memorized, uh, and it's a good verse for our children to memorize. Colossians 3.20, children, uh, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Every night. Hey, hey Ari, what's Colossians 3.20? You know, she can tell me. Uh, did you do that today? No. You know, like, but, but it's true. And how they obey me, though, is how they'll know to obey God. If they can't obey you, parent, how do you think they're going to obey a God that they can't see? We've got to have discipline and order and authority. We let our kids get away with things. They, they can do whatever they want. Some parents are a pushover. But that's not what Scripture says, that you should have discipline, because if they obey you, they'll obey God. We're to teach them the word. We're to teach them how to pray. That was a part of Jewish society. You had to teach and teach and teach. It wasn't on the church or the synagogue or on the temple because some Jews only went once or twice or maybe just a handful of times a year. But it was on the home to teach the word. Young little boys had to memorize the entire first five books of the Bible by age 13 through their parents' education of the Bible. 
I won't even go into all of that. We can't come to Sunday school on once a week or twice a month to church attendance. But, but at home, at home, that's where they learn the word of God. So parents, are you reading the Bible with your children every night? Every night. Read the Bible with your children. Praying every day. Provide a safe routine. You know, Martin Luther, uh, the great uh, Protestant Reformation, when the Protestants broke off of Catholicism, Martin Luther, you know what he did with his kids? Every day, he would wake at 6 a.m., he would pray with his children, they would say the Ten Commandments together, then they would say the Lord's Prayer together, then they would say the Holy Creed, which is this kind of phrase about who Jesus is, and then they would sing a song, a psalm from Scripture together. That's how they opened up their day, every day as a family. Think about that. What that would do if we began to do things like that, singing songs with our children, reading the Bible with them, and and that's how society, much of the Christian church was based back then. But today we've got to set clear boundaries, consistent consequences. The Bible says in verse 21 of that same verse that parents, fathers, you're not, you are to discipline your children, but not provoke them or discourage them uh, in anger. And we're to not speak negativity over our children or not put down our children, but to uplift and encourage them with clear, consistent boundaries, teaching them the word of God and how to pray. And you don't know how to do that? Maybe you didn't have that? Well, here, guess what? That's when we have small groups. That's when we have these life groups. That's when we have a church family and elders and, and board members and leadership of the church is that you don't know how to be a mom or dad. Find someone in this congregation who you can learn that is successful, that they've got godly children who are grown. Ask them, how did you do that? I've got a crazy five-year-old. How did you get through those years without pulling your hair out? And how did you lead your kids to the Lord and keep them in church? That's what we are to do together. Amen? Then you can talk about your in-laws and your relatives, and we all should just skip that part and move on. But, but even Paul said that, you know, families are responsible to take care of families before the church is. Did you know that? That's in Scripture. Look it up. Families are supposed to take care of their own families before they give the need to the church. That they're supposed to take care of the poor widows in their family and the needs of their family. And you may have come from a bad relationship. Look at Scripture. You've got Jacob and Esau. You've got David and Saul. And you can find yourself in any of these crazy families. And the Bible is full of dysfunctional families. But in every case, even as a family, to being present in the home, me and my wife are to illustrate how to be a Christian to my family. We've got Thanksgiving and Christmas uh, that we're, we're in the middle of. How do I tell my family and show my family what it means to be a godly man and woman of God? How to be a righteous person, that I'm responsible for my in-laws. I cannot, Heath Harris cannot save your family, but you can show them who can, and that's Jesus. You can be Jesus to them. Pastor Jeff, down the road, he always talks about having, being Jesus with skin on. You know, that's one of his things he talks about a lot, and, and that's, that's true, I am the best person to lead my family and my extended family to the Lord. Don't put it on the pastor. Don't put it on our elders or our church team. It is you. We're to be ministering families. You know, the Apostle Paul, when he wrote this, the, all the letters of the New Testament, uh, he, he often was writing it to house churches, meaning that people who hosted church in their home, and that's actually how the uh, early New Testament church began, is that people volunteered their homes to have church and they didn't have a building they were persecuted they couldn't come together uh, and they were ministering families and in one uh, verse he talks about 
In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 16, he talks about, Lord, grant mercy to the house of Onesiphorus because he helped me while I was in chains. Meaning that this family ministered to Paul, the apostle, while he was in prison. And he thanked God for this family. How is my family a ministering family? It wasn't about, oh, thank God for Sanctuary Family Worship Center and how they, all these anonymous people put money in an offering plate. That's all good. Thank you for that. But how did this, fam- this personal family made an impact on the Apostle Paul that he would write about them in a letter, thanking God for them and praying for them? How does my family go beyond our church to minister to my community? And I, you get people all the time that will ask, well, should I make my kids go to church? You know, and the true answer to that is this. You are the church. Your kids should be in church every time they're home. And then, yes, they should be here every time the doors are open as well. Because you are the church. You don't just go to church. We are the church. And so being the, going to church is this concept in the modern age is that no church starts in the home. And if your kids are part of your home, then they're a part of the church and you should be leading them into the things of God. And, and that it's a natural overflow then to come together as the corporate church of Jesus Christ. It's a holy atmosphere. Think of it this way. Do I separate my home for the purpose of God? Is my home, do I think of it as a church? Do I filter the entertainment in my home? Is my home free from things like bitterness, negativity, gossip, unforgiveness? Because there are things that we might say about somebody else in my home that I would not dare say in the hallway of the church. But guess what? It's the same. It's the same. And sometimes I wish you'd say it here so we'd all hear it when we get over it. Is it... Is my place, my family, is it a place of refuge for broken and hurting people? Do my children know that my family is on mission? That my mom and my dad, that our family unit is on as a purpose in Jesus Christ? Do they see our family engaged in the gospel? It doesn't have to be church things. It doesn't have to be church things. I brag on uh, Greg and Brenda for a moment because uh, their family does the Special Olympics uh, every year, and that's something they can do together as a family. It could be something like that. It could be taking your family to a food pantry or a mission house or the Lad Center, the special needs. It could be anything that your family does. Say, hey, our family adopts. I know several people in our congregation, they adopt children overseas for uh, educational purposes or food purposes. That our family, maybe you have a picture on your fridge of someone your kids can see. Hey, this is something mom and dad and us participate in. Or maybe there's things that you do as a family to buy Christmas gifts for other people and they would notice it's not the church doing it it's us as a family doing things together for the cause of Jesus Christ it brings it home are you with me this morning bring it home bring church home we're only as Christian as we are in the home discipleship starts at home worship starts at home our kids should hear worship music at home Uh, it, it bothers me when I see parents that their kids know more secular songs than worship songs that means there's more secular music playing at home than worship music. I'm not against secular music. Don't get me wrong. There are good, there's good songs out there. You've got to be careful. But, but my kids should first know the worship songs. And then, then if there's time, right, then they can, and you can filter it. They can learn those other things. Is my home my church? Where if we're not healthy in our homes, we'll not be healthy as a church. 
We wonder why sometimes we go to a church service and it's dead. That's because our homes are dead. Church starts in the home. And this is only possible through the Holy Spirit. It's only possible. We fail all the time. Beth and I, we are not perfect by any stretch of means. We have challenges. We have issues we've got to work through. We've got errors. We want to grow in in our home. But, but it has to be that we say, Holy Spirit, I cannot do this. We, especially at home, man, you come home from a tired day at work, all the filters are gone. All your, your stress levels are already up, and you're just there, and the, the, the family often gets the blah part of you. And I need more of the Holy Spirit really at home than I do here. Because here I'm prepared. I have an hour and a half to you know, get ready for church and get here on time, and I can put away, and you can leave the old Heath in the car, and you can say, oh, praise the Lord Jesus. It's a great day in the house of the Lord, right? But then you go home, you're like, you know, like everything's there. And that's where we need more of the Holy Spirit is in our homes. Think about this, Colossians 3.12. I'm going to give you four quick things before we go. Colossians 3.12 says this, Put on then as God's chosen ones. And let me challenge you this way. We often read Scripture, and this is me. I grew up in church. You often read Scripture, and I think of it through a churchy context, or I think of it through a personal Heath Harris context. But I want you to read this scripture, and I want you to think about it as your home. Okay? Think about this through the home. As a home, put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts at home, kindness at home, humility at home, meekness at home, patience at home, bearing with one another at home. And if you have a complaint against one another in your home, forgive one another in your home because the Lord has forgiven you. So you, guess what, must, 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 must forgive. Above everything else, put on love. It's going to bind you together in perfect harmony at home. As a family, you have to be Christian at home. Let me give you four quick things before we go today of how to take all this and package it and put it in your car and open it up when you get home. All right, you ready? Number one, as a family, as a person, single, widow, divorced, uh, engaged, married, whatever you are, number one, be focused on the essential. Be focused on the essential. You want to write these down? Number one, be focused on the essential. Luke 9, 62. Jesus said, no one who puts his hand to the plow looks back as fit for the kingdom of God. Jesus had this singular focus that my one essential goal while I'm on this earth is to do the will of God. And my family's singular focus should be the same. There's a lot of good goals. I want to retire. I want to, you know, blah, blah, blah. I want to do this. We want to go here. We want to go there. We want to build this and have this house and do that and do this. And there's all kinds of good goals. But your singular, most essential goal should be to see Jesus Christ here on the earth revealed, and in heaven you're going to experience Him, right? We want to have this singular purpose to give all that we have to obey the will of God. So what does this mean as a family? Number one is, and part of this number one is, take responsibility for what my home is and is not doing. Take back your schedule, right? I just said this morning, our schedules are going crazy. Other people are providing our schedules for us. Take back your schedule. What do you have to do? What do you really have to do to survive, to, to be who God wants you to be? There's a lot of things that are good things to do, but they may not be essential 
right? I can prioritize my home schedule. I, I have to realize I can't fit everything in, and not everything is important in this life. It's not, I love my yard to be a certain and look a certain way, okay? I'm, I'm OCD about my yard. I love landscaping and flowers. I want my grass a certain way, and no one ever sees my house because I live in the middle of, in the back of woods, right? Uh, but I like it. But you know what? That's really not important. I, I want to mow that yard every week, but, you know, there are other things I could do that are actually more kingdom importance, right? Now, clean your house, mow your yard, do those things, right? But, but there are things, when it comes down to it, that I sometimes need to say no to, uh, and there are things that other people put upon me that they think is important that really isn't my responsibility and my importance. And so we can do less but do it better. You've got to know when to leave work at work. And tell your boss, no, you can do that. You may not keep your job, but you can do it, right? Uh, (laughs) I'm just saying. You have to know when to leave work at work. you got to know when to turn the TV off, put the phone down. An hour later, you're still scrolling through Facebook, and you realize, oh, my gosh, what happened? Know when to do those things. Say no to too much extracurricular activities. There's a lot of things. Beth and I were just talking the other day that our daughter's going on two field trips in one week, and I don't know any school that ever does two field trips in one week, but apparently this one does. And I'm thinking, when do we just say no, right? And, and, and no, there's just too much going on. And so take control of your life. One author says it this way, if you don't prioritize your time, somebody else will. If you don't prioritize your time, somebody else will. And we are to be a kingdom time people, a kingdom-centered People, What is essential that I must do? And does it line up with Christ's mission in my home? Number two is this. Number one, do the essential. Focus on the essential. Prioritize those first five things. What are the five things you've got to really do this week? And does it anywhere of those five have Jesus in it? Number two is this. Be separate for a purpose. After me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Paul said we're to cleanse ourselves from fleshly defilement, perfecting holiness, a continuation of being holy in the fear of God. What does that mean? That I'm in charge of what comes in my home. I am in charge of what we watch, what we say, what we listen to. Parents, you are in control of what your kids see, hear, and are taking in. Don't think your kids can tell you what they're going to do with their phones. Hello. There's a great rule. It's called no phones in the, in the bedroom after 9 p.m. That's a great rule to have if you have teenagers. You, you are in control. Of what comes into your phone and your, your house and your TV. You're in control of what they watch and don't watch. Paul said, cleanse those things. Be separate. But here's the deal. There's a lot of rules. I grew up with a friend who was of a denomination that they could, have, uh, they could not have a colored TV, but a black and white TV was okay. <laughs> I don't understand how that works. But he's a great friend. I love him. And he's serving the Lord today. But, but there's, sometimes there's religious rules for no reason. And the important part of this is you are separate for a purpose. There's a lot of things to be separate from. There's a lot of good things to think. There's a lot of things your kids should not wear. There's a lot of things we should not be doing. There's a lot of things. You can make a list for your family. That might be a good list. That's okay. But it's separate for a purpose. He's, Paul says, uh, he's, or Peter says that God has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And it's so that, don't forget the so that, so that you can proclaim the excellencies, right? So I want to tell my kids the why. Why does our home not watch those things? 
Why does our home not celebrate those things? Why does our home not dress this way? It's so that. See, the purpose has to be greater than the separation. If we're just all separate and they don't ever get the purpose, they don't see the glory and the identity in God. And it's separate for a purpose. Holiness is that. That's the definition. It's set apart. but It's not just set apart. It's set apart for a purpose. And the purpose has got to be greater in my children and my home's life. If they just see dad as this uh, bum guy with a bunch of rules that doesn't let us have fun and that we have all these strict things in our house and we don't get to do what everybody else does, they're going to look at you, they're going to leave you as soon as they can and go do the fun things of the world. You have got to put a greater emphasis on the good things of God and the power and the glory of the Holy Spirit being activated in our family. Amen. It's the the holiness is the reward. And I've got to instill that into my family. So be separate for a purpose. Number three is this. Be together intentionally. Be together intentionally. Acts 2.44. The believers were together and they had all things in common. Families were basically, this isn't a church organized thing. A lot of people want the church to organize church for them. Church happens because church people are at home being the church. And it wasn't because they came to a church and said, well, I don't know nobody because I don't have any events. That's what we have in America. I don't know nobody because I don't have any events. I don't ever get involved because there's nothing that the the growth track and the discipleship pipelines and all these small group programs, they didn't have all that. It was just they were who they were because Jesus was living in them. They called people because they cared about them. They visited the sick because they cared about them. They, they did these things, and it wasn't just the paid pastor. It was the church being the church because Christ was activated in the home. And so they met together every night of the week when there was this great revival going on, and, and somebody would host a meal at their house, and somebody would host a meal at our house. But we can go to church for years and never go to anybody's house. Oh, that's quiet. I like it because it's true. It's true. Early church revivals, even in America, people were much more hospitable because we didn't care so much about what people thought about our homes, who was poor, who was rich, who had nice things. What they, we were just all about Jesus. We loved other people. Come over to my house. Get over my, my messiness. I've got kids, okay? You'll live, right? Uh, move the toys out of the way. Sit down on the couch, okay? It, just We were all about people. And we love to hang out together. And that's what the church is about. It's, it's not being separate from the church, but bringing the church into my home. It means I want to have fun together with you. I want to have fun. I want to play uh, board games and have you over. I want to invite other believers to my house. I want to go out to dinner with you. I want to serve with you as a family. It's not a going to, when, when we have a, a serve day or an outreach or an event, I don't just show up because it's mandated or it's For that reason, I want to be with you serving the world. Because it's about us being a family. Be together intentionally. Bring people into your house. You never had anybody. Nobody's invited you over to their house. Invite somebody to your house. Be rejoicing together. Have family devotionals. And lastly is this. And this is the most profound theological one yet. Ready? Be nice. Can we just say that? I tell my kids that all the time. Would you just be nice? Be nice to your sister. Can we just do that in our homes? Be nice. Just be nice. And how do you do that? You let the Holy Spirit help you. Be nice. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. 
That's one of the verses that's been on my mind the last two weeks. Give preference to one another in honor. Don't lag behind in diligence. Be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Persevere tribulation. Be devoted in prayer. This is about, I think it's about your home. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Practice hospitality. There you go. Be the church at home. And when all your buttons are pushed, be nice. Be nice. Be nice. Be Christ-like 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And the niceness, that general niceness comes out of you. Because personally, you are experienced the Holy Spirit that is His love, His joy, His peace, His patience, His gentleness, His meekness, His self-control. All that long-suffering is coming out of you into your home because you have a born-again relationship with Him. I can't be nice on my own but I can let the Holy Spirit invade my life and then invade my home. Are you with me this morning? Worship team, would you come? Actually, Ms. Stacy, would you just come back to the piano? Father, we just thank you for today. Holy Spirit, we can't do any of this without you. That we want to just be separate for a purpose. We want to just be nice and full of the goodness and the glory of God. We want to be together as a family of God, and whether we're single, we're, we're married, Lord, whatever, we are separated, whatever it is, no matter where we are, Lord, that we would be sanctified, righteous, spirit-filled, joyful worshipers, not just at church, but setting ourselves apart, prioritizing our schedules to let our homes be the place where we experience God the most. That's a challenge, oh God. Father, you know I fall short every day, every week. But Father, help me. Help me and my family. Help help every family in this room, oh God, to say, Lord Jesus, sanctify my home. Just sanctify my home. Come into our home. And right now, wherever you are, I just want you to think about what can you do this week? Every head bowed, every eye closed. What can you do this week to say, what, maybe what are five things I need to start doing this week to let God be activated in my home life? Maybe there's five things you need to stop doing this week to let God be activated in your home life. We don't have to wait till January to have a New Year's resolution. Today, this week, how can I experience more of Jesus in my home? Whether you're living alone, whether it's just you and your wife, your husband, or whether it's you and a bunch of kids, how do I and how does me and my home experience more of the Holy Spirit than I do on any church service? Not just the hype, not about all that, but just the presence and the goodness of God, the love, the joy, the peace, the patience in my home. I want just you to just to, to meditate on that and just begin to invite God right where you are and just begin to pray that prayer. You don't have to have any crazy altar service. Just where you are, Lord Jesus, help me to be authentic in my home. Help me to prioritize my schedule. And Stacy's just playing this in the background. I just want us to have an altar moment right here, right now, right where you are. Have your way, oh God. Have your way, oh God. Sanctify us, Lord Jesus, starts in me.